0: Greetings everyone, this is Pastor Mike. Thanks for joining me today. I'm here in my office with my Bible open to 1 Peter 2, verse five, which says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, we've just begun unpacking the sixth and final paradigm of transformation. Now, a paradigm is like a prism through which we view our world and the circumstances we face each day. When we allow the Bible to be that prism through which we form our worldview, our actions become strategic and effective in bringing about real change, both in our own lives and in the world around us. Our actions are driven by what we truly believe. These paradigms exist in order to align our beliefs with God's revealed purposes, which then position us to experience God's transforming power in our lives and in our circumstances. So paradigm number six is, every believer is a minister and has been apportioned grace and power to fulfill their calling and become the catalyst for transformation in the places where they live, work, and worship. Now, if this is indeed true, then our goal should be to position ourselves for God to use us as ministers, as servants of Christ in this world. We spent the last several episodes talking about how to become free from spiritual bondages, deceptions, and strongholds that will short-circuit our spiritual growth and limit our effectiveness as ambassadors of the Kingdom of God. Now I want to begin looking at the many different roles in which each of us function as ministers and how God gives us specific instructions on how to function in each one of those roles. For example, in the home, if you are a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a child, There are specific roles we are to play in order to minister to the other people in our household. In the church, each one of us has been given a spiritual gift and a ministry among the body of Christ to help build up Christ's body. We're also called to be ministers in our own neighborhoods, schools, places of business, and we're called to be ministers that disciple nations and occupy the gates of the city. Each one of us individually has a role to play within each one of these spheres. And in each sphere, God has very specific instructions for us so that we might be effective in fulfilling that role and calling. But there's one more, which is the most important one, and the ministry from which all other ministries flow, and that is, each one of us is a minister to God in praise and worship. 1 Peter 2.5 that we read at the beginning says that we are a holy priesthood that offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. Just a few verses further down, Peter calls us a royal priesthood who declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We may function in many roles as believers, but none is more important than the role of priests who minister to God. This might sound strange, because we generally think of ministering to others who have a need, right? But God doesn't need us, nor does He need our worship, even though He is deserving of it. Have you ever wondered, what's in all this for God? From God's perspective, what does He gain from saving us? What is the goal of the Gospel? from God's point of view. Now, it's easy to list the endless benefits we receive. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, communion with God through the Spirit, and on and on we could go. But what about God? In Mark 14, God gives us some insight into the answer to that question. In Mark 14, starting in verse 3, it says, While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now this is the most amazing statement that Jesus slips in here. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. Now, why would Jesus want this event to be forever linked to the preaching of the gospel? Doesn't that seem odd? And why don't we do it? I mean, we rarely hear about what this woman has done, even though we hear the gospel all the time. What Jesus is saying here is that this woman best encapsulates best demonstrates the response to the gospel that most touches God's heart, that ministers to God. It's like Jesus is handing out the Oscar for the category, best response to the gospel, best response to my love. This woman poured out without reservation that which was most valuable to her. This love poured out in response to who Jesus was quote-unquote, wasted in response to what Jesus had done for her, touched Jesus in a way that he then forever linked her response to the gospel. He, in essence, is saying, she gets it. This is why I came. God's primary desire in saving humanity by going to the cross was not to populate heaven. His primary desire was and is To love and be loved by his bride, the church. God demonstrated his love for us in that while he was under no obligation to do so, he died for us so that we can have an eternal relationship with him. The Westminster Catechism famously states that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And talking about transformation, we have to constantly circle back to the beginning. Transformation only comes through relationship, through the living presence of Almighty God intersecting with people's lives in the natural. That's why God values relationship above everything, because He knows that the greatest agent of transformation in a person's life is His presence cultivated through intimate worship, This has always been true. The very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. God even declares, I am a jealous God. He's jealous of anything, anyone, that would supplant the relationship we were were created to have with him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, That we who behold him with unveiled faces, are being transformed into His likeness from glory to greater glory. This is the process of transformation. It's God's presence that acts like a refiner's fire to bring out the pure gold, removing all the impurities, revealing His glory. We are to behold Him with unveiled faces. It's this posture of transparency and worship that positions us to experience this promised blessing, that metamorphosis, like a caterpillar that's turned into a butterfly. Today, let's assume that posture and pour ourselves out on him, withholding nothing, unveiled like a bride before her groom. This touches God's heart and ministers to him. May God say of us, he gets it. She gets it. That's why I came. Amen.